Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to Grace College. Uh, who is this guy in front of you? Welcome me to Grace College. I'm Kevin Barra, and uh, if you weren't here for my introduction time, it was a couple uh, weeks ago uh, before Easter and spring break, and we had a three-week hiatus. Great to see you guys back. Um, I am stepping in to lead the college ministry. Uh, Trey is still around. He's going to be um, overseeing uh, the campus ministry stuff here at Grace College, and, uh, and I'm here to jump in and be with you, and I'm so excited about the opportunity. So if that's a total swing from left field for some of you, I'm very sorry you weren't here, but hope you had a good Easter and spring break. How's that? All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, jump to Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to read a couple verses for us, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will jump in, and you'll get to know me a little bit better, and Nehemiah a lot better as we go. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, of course, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had, who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the Lord, the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you night and day for the people of Israel, your servants. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for for this time to get back together. And Lord, I pray that as we look at the life of Nehemiah, a, a man who was, whose heart broke for the same things your heart broke for, a man who didn't stop there but actually rallied a community to change a culture, that we, we might look at the things that Nehemiah did and ask a simple question, Lord, could I do such a thing in my day? Could we be rallied together to, to spark change in our culture for your sake and for your glory? Lord, I pray that you be with us as we, as we study this word, that my heart would be aligned with yours and my words would be your words for us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Watch this. I'm pregnant. B-A, and what? You are going to be a, I'm going to be a, grandfather. I'm a father. Grandfather. A great father. Grandfather. Grandfather. Yes. I'm going to be a grandfather. Yes. Yes. I'm going to be a grandfather. I'm going to be a grandfather. I'm going to be a grandfather. Oh, we're going to be grandfather. I can't believe that. Man, that works. Are you going to be a grandfather? Isn't that amazing? Love it. Love it. There's something beautiful that we see when hearts become aligned. And I love like the, the process that these people, that maybe you've seen videos like this where they're kind of a, there's a big reveal happening and, and everyone's kind of getting together like, okay, how can we communicate this? And when they finally get it, 
when they finally see what they've been trying to communicate the whole time, there's something amazing in that celebration. And we see that with one another. I mean, when you finally get your Aggie ring, there's something exciting about that. When you finally get to the end of your college career and are working on graduating, there's something exciting about that for one or two people. But those moments when we're united together and our hearts are aligned, there's those exciting moments when we can celebrate one another, whether it's a great victory or or a great accomplishment or great success. There's something exciting about celebrating when our hearts are unified towards something. And I'll tell you what, God loves it when his kids have hearts that are aligned with his. God loves it when when he sees people whose hearts are fully devoted to him, when when their hearts and his heart get lined up and going the same direction. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's times in our life when we can feel like, yes, that's me. Like my heart is right with God's heart. Like I I know what God wants to do in the world and and I'm excited to partner with God in what he's doing. But there's other times in life when it feels like there's a miss. When it feels like the things that I love, God doesn't necessarily love. The things that I'm chasing, God isn't necessarily blessing. How is it that we are people, that we become people, whose hearts are aligned with God's hearts? That we love the things that God loves. How does that happen? Well, in in Nehemiah, we see a man whose heart breaks for the things that God breaks for. We see a man whose heart is fully aligned with God's heart and his people. And what's amazing is that you see, he doesn't stay with just an aligned heart. He actually aligns a people. There's broken walls in the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah steps in not only to rebuild the walls, but in so doing, he rebuilds a people. And what do I want for us? I hope we might be able to see what God sees and do what God does to partner our hearts with God's heart, align them, and do something this semester. And so what I I want to do today is is simply this. I I want us to see it and own it. To see the things that God is laying out before Nehemiah's eyes and see the things that God may be laying out in front of our eyes and to own it, own our part in what God is doing in the world. And the first thing we see is that Nehemiah first saw what was going on in his world. Now, Nehemiah was the son of Hekeliah, of course, and it happened in the month of Chislev. Yeah, that's, um, for those of you who don't know, if you didn't, it's uh, November, December. It's winter months. And it's, it's somewhere around the time of 445 BCE. That's the, the historical time period. And he heard that one of his brothers had visited Jerusalem. And he asked who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. So what's going on in this moment, at this point in history? Well, the nation of Israel is in exile. And for, for those of you history buffs, um, this will be old news. But for those of us who don't know what's going on, this might be helpful. In 586 BCE, we see that, um, that Babylon came in and destroyed Jerusalem. Literally, the nation of Babylon came in and they wrecked everything. They destroyed the temple of Jerusalem and destroyed the city walls and burned them to the ground. And in 539 BC, another uh, nation, Persia, came in and, and took over Babylon. They defeated them. It was not even a battle, and immediately they took all of those territories, all of those lands. And in 516 BC, 70 years later, Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple. 
In the book of Ezra in your Bible, right before the book of Nehemiah, you see Zerubbabel come in and start rebuilding the temple. And then in 458 BC, Ezra continues to rebuild. About 60 years later, he continues to rebuild where Zerubbabel stopped. And in 446 BC, BBE, I don't know where that came in, but BCE, that's when Nehemiah hears the report that we read right now. And when he hears this report, he hears that the walls are still broken down and the people are in a bad place. Why is that? Why is it that the people are in exile? Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, the Jewish nation, they, they were made from Abraham, right? As a single person and, and they developed an entire nation. At the end of Genesis you see that the nation has grown in Egypt and Moses comes in and leads them out of slavery. Familiar? And as he leads them out of slavery in Egypt, he brings them all the way to the promised land. They don't go in. It's a, it's a bad move for the nation of Israel. For the next 40 years, that generation dies off and then they come back to that same moment. And in Deuteronomy, Moses stands with a new nation. The, all the sons and, and daughters of that previous nation, he stands there and he says in the book of Deuteronomy, hey, listen, This land is for you. If you follow God with your entire heart, if you serve him with your whole life, this entire land will be yours and you're gonna establish a nation and a people for God's own possession. Now here's the deal. Deuteronomy 38 says, if you follow me, if your heart is aligned with God's heart, you will stay here and be blessed. But if your heart is not aligned with God's heart and you start going in your own direction, this land will be taken from you. In Deuteronomy 29, he says, look, a nation will come in and wreak havoc on you and pull you away into exile. And that's exactly what happens in this moment. The nation for 70 years had been in exile off the land. And just just now, they're starting to go back and starting to rebuild. God's blessing has returned and they are returning to the land. But everything's not perfect yet. And Nehemiah sees three things that are, that are a problem with the nation at this point in time. There's three problems that he's seeing that are, that are huge. The first is this, that there's destruction. Literally, there's destruction of, of the walls. It says in verse 3, The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And secondly, you see that there's danger. The reason the wall is significant, you may be wondering, what, what, what's the significance of a city wall? Well, in that culture, in that day and age, in order to have safety and security to worship, You needed a wall because enemy armies would come in frequently and and kind of pillage and and pull people off the land. And so they needed a a city wall that would protect them from enemy invasion. And third, and this is the most important part, they they are distancing themselves from God. You see, in their culture, in their day and age, what God said is, look, when you devote yourself to me spiritually, I will bless you physically. See, spiritual devotion is directly tied in their culture to to God's blessing on them into physical provision. And because the walls are broken down and the people are, are still in disarray, what it shows is that the people still are not devoted to God. So what's Nehemiah's response? Verse four. It says that he heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And when you hear that, what you see is that what Nehemiah is seeing is this. What 
there's broken walls, but really what that means is there's broken worship. There's broken people, and what that really means is that there's people that are distant from God. And when your heart is aligned with God's heart, you see what God sees, and your heart breaks for what he breaks for. And we've seen this in our, I don't know, recently. So anyone been following Aggie basketball this semester? If you haven't, shame for shame. It's been amazing, right? An amazing team. And they had a great year. In fact, they won a nail-biter against Northern Iowa. Anyone watch the game, right? Anyone there? Anyone actually travel? Oh, a couple of you. That's awesome. I mean, it was amazing. And you saw, like, the joy and elation on everyone's face when they pulled off this victory. They came back. I'm watching on the edge of my seat as they're going through this. I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And you see the joy and, and excitement as they win. And the next they play OU. This is your time to participate. Yes, perfect, perfect. And when they lost... There was wailing at the destruction. I mean, right? You, you, you saw it, right? I remember the camera panning to the crowd, and I'm seeing, like, college girls, some of you that were probably even there. They're just like, <gasps> we all love, you know? And just, there's, there's no tomorrow, right? And there's, there's wailing. Why? Because when your heart is aligned with someone else's and they lose, you weep, right? You see the destruction, and you hurt for them. But honestly, honestly, sometimes when we see the pain of the world, we don't see this, we, our heart isn't aligned in the same ways. Over Easter, uh, it, was a, it was a huge time of celebration uh, across much of the world. But it was also a time of great destruction. Bishop Declan Lang said this. After the bombing um, in Pakistan, he says, Last year, 100 homes of Christians were burned down in one part of Lahore. And churches have been bombed, he said. We pray that the authorities in Pakistan will act decisively to guarantee religious freedom and bring, to, bring all forms of religious persecution of minorities to, a, to an end. We pray also for the church in Pakistan, which has shown such courage and faith that their faith and our response to these atrocities they suffer would be truly Christ-like, expressing love, love's victory over evil in the words of our dying crucified one, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's an amazing response to a horrendous tragedy. And when you see world tragedies like that, I I think sometimes it feels so distant. I think we have two responses, or three. First, there's outrage. And then we get overwhelmed. And then we kind of disengage. We become outraged, then overwhelmed, then disengaged. You see, but the truth is, at every point in history, God has been wanting his people to see the problems that are actually present in the world. One of my favorite moments uh, in the life of Jesus is when he's with his disciples. And they're walking around, they've they've been preaching and teaching and going through all these towns and cities in the Galilean area. That was kind of where he started his ministry. That's where he picked up most of his disciples. They were all fishermen kind of around Galilee. And as he's walking through in Matthew 9, he says this in verse 35. Now, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. I mean, it's awesome. There's great things happening. In verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
See, there's great things happening in this moment. And then he takes this moment to, to pull his disciples aside. He says, yeah, we've been healing, we've been teaching. The great things are happening for, for the cause of the kingdom of God. It's been great. But, but boys, come here, come here. I want you to take a moment. Just, just come here. I want you to look at them. What do you see? Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking in this moment? I mean, most of them are from this region. Most of them have seen these people. I mean, that's Jimmy, right? Like, Jimmy buys fish for me on Tuesdays, right? Like, he knows these people, right? That's Susie. Like, she sells stuff over wherever, right? These are people they probably knew. And to people they probably knew in a region they were very familiar with, he says, Jesus goes, gentlemen, I want you to see something that you probably aren't seeing. I see people that are harassed and helpless. Literally, in the Greek, it means that they're, like, like filleted open and thrown down. And they're like sheep without a shepherd. There's no one to step in and help. And the truth is, as you walk through the campus of A&M, it may not be as rosy as you think. So I just want you to take a moment right now. I want you to go down memory lane to, you know, last week. I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to think about your normal walk to class. Who you pass by. You may have, like, hallway friends, as I kind of call them. Like, people you only see on that route, but you never do anything more than, eh, you know, like that's kind of it. I want you to think about the people that you sit next to in class. There's that guy. There's that girl. So you can ask another question. Okay, all right, so there's that guy. I want you to think about your normal days as you interact or don't interact with people that you walk through the hallways through every day as you walk across campus seeing. According to American Psychological Association, 48% of college students attend counseling for mental health concerns, 46% for anxiety, 40% for depression, 36% for relationship issues, and one one in six are diagnosed or treated for anxiety disorder. There's destruction. There's also danger. 30%, according to APA, contemplate suicide, 23% self-harm, and 9% have attempted suicide. One in three have thought about it. And there's distance from God. According to Duke University, only 18% of Americans under the age of 60 go to church at least once a month. 18% of people under 60 go to church at least once a month. If you just think a moment about the people you walk by every day, the people you interact with, there is destruction, there is danger, and then the biggest issue is that there's, a, there's distance from God because the one person who can help, they're not going to see. And as soon as I say stuff like that, I think your response is the same as my response. And it's this. Somebody should do something, right? Like someone should do something. Like that's bad. I mean, wars overseas, like the, the fact that they're killing Christians, that's horrible. Someone should do something. I mean, pain of, of the people and college students that, that I'm interacting with, someone should do something. Uh, someone should... should do something. <laughs> but I think if you're like me, you respond like my kids do oftentimes. So I've got four kids, um, an infant, daughter Juliet, and, and three other kids, uh, Peyton, who is f- five, and Micah, who's four, and Jesse, who's two. 
And every now and then, or okay, on Fridays, I watch them by myself. So Friday's Daddy Day. If you ever want to hang out on Friday, can't do it unless you want to change diapers, and then maybe we can hang out. So it's Daddy Days on Friday, and my wife is a veterinarian, so she works on Fridays, and, and so I'm there watching the kids. And inevitably, they will make a trek upstairs, and they will want to play with some toys. And how does a five-year-old, four-year-old, and a two-year-old play with toys? Because one's kind of stationary, you know, four-month-old. So how do, the, how do those kids play with toys? You would think they would pick out one, play with that, and when they're done with it, they'll just put it right back in. Negative. They take out the bins, and they dump it everywhere and scatter all the toys across the nice, clean playroom. And then my daughter will go into her room where all of her Barbies are, and she'll take them all out, lay out all their clothes and every Barbie everywhere. And it's a total wreck, total chaos. Uh, It's just a total mess. And then I walk up there, and I go, all right, guys, I'm so glad you had so much fun. Now we need to clean it up. And what do you think my daughter's first response is? If you were to just guess, what is the response you think she might have in that moment? Hmm? What? Yes, yes, Father. Oh, I wish, yes. Another idea of response my daughter might have? Inevitably, yeah. Not mine, or I didn't do it, right? That's her response, I didn't do it. And in her defense, part of it she didn't do. You know, she didn't put all the cars and all the other action figures out. Like, she didn't create that chaos, but she created her own, right? And so, she, so I go over there and I go, baby, hey, these are your Barbie dolls and your little mess. Let's start with that. Can you pick that up and put them away? She's like, okay, dad, okay, okay, daddy. And so she starts there. It's so funny, though, that, that our initial response, I think oftentimes our initial response is, hey, I, 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 didn't, I didn't do it. And I think you feel the same way when you think about your roommates, right? So you may walk home or drive home this Sunday, go in, and you'll walk into the kitchen, a place of cleanliness and, and pure germ-free area, or where dishes have been stacked for like a month, and, and, and your response is like my response when I was in college, which is this, I didn't do it, right? Someone needs to do something about this crazy, Right? But what's so funny is I love, I love Nehemiah's response. He owns his part. He didn't just blame, but he, he owns it. What I say to my, my daughters, I say this. I said, hey, we're a family. And if you don't clean it up, who's going to clean it up? Daddy? Mm-hmm. We're a family. We're in this together. We make a mess, and we clean it up together. Your roommates are the same way. We make a mess. You chose to live with them or her. We clean it up together. And what Nehemiah does that's absolutely incredible is he owns his part. And he owns it in three ways. He says three things in this amazing prayer in verses 5 through 11. He says, first of all this, we were wrong. Secondly, we need you. And third, I'm willing to step up. Simply, Nehemiah is saying, look, hey, someone needs to do something, and that somebody's going to be me. In verse 5, he says this, And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer, your servant, that I now pray before you night and day. And here's what he does. Confessing the sins of the people in Israel, which, notice the pronouns, we have sinned against you 
Even I and my father's house have sinned. Wait a minute. Those dudes made mistakes 70 years ago. He wasn't even born when, they, when the temple was destroyed. But he's putting himself right in the middle of it. He's owning it. He's owning his part. We acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. He owns his part. And secondly, he says, we need you. Verse 8, he says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcast in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to a place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. He says, look, you promised our people that if we returned and repented, you would relent and bring us back. And I tell you what, I love the fact that Nehemiah doesn't say, there's a problem here. Where's my cape and S on my chest? I will fix the problem. He says, God, we did it, and we need you to clean it up. We did it. We need you. You know what he's praying for? That God would come and restore what's broken. You know what we need more than anything? That God would come and fix what went very broken in the world. And you know what? He sent him. His name is Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, took on our sin. He owned it for us so that we might walk in freedom with him. And see, we are partners with Jesus Christ, Christian, to not only know that we have received forgiveness for everything we've done wrong, but to unite ourselves in heart with his mission. And I love his humble statement at the end of this. In verse 11, he says this, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. We're going to talk more about what cupbearer meant next week, but simply to say he wasn't a man in privileged position. He wasn't a man who had all the tools at his disposal. To do a good job, he needed to drink the poison given to the king so that the king wouldn't die, right? So if he's dead, he did a good job. He wasn't a guy with all the tools and resources at his disposal. But he simply said, I'm willing to step up. I remember uh, when I first moved into my neighborhood, I live in Sonoma, which is right next to College Station High School, that's all ambiguous language for you, but it's over south of here. And I remember when I first moved in, we moved into our house, and I remember driving into um, my road to the street right in our little neighborhood, and I saw a huge water moccasin going across the street. It was so big, and I was freaking out, so I swerved around it and kind of went the other way, and, it, and, and I saw it go across. I'm like, I get in my uh, driveway, and I say to myself, I'm so thankful that that's not going toward my house. And then I was in that kind of tension moment, that quandary, like, what do I do here? And so I'm standing there, and suddenly I feel convicted, and I go, I, I guess i got to do something. So I get a big shovel, five-foot shovel that was in my garage, and I walk out, and I see the snake. He's laying across the whole street, and then he sees me coming with his rear little creepy eyes, and then he starts going across, and I take that shovel. I'm not anti-snake, but I'm pro-kids. And I beat his head 
and I cut it off and I scoop it up and I throw it in the gutter and scoop his body and throw it in the gutter. And at that moment, I was like, never fear townspeople. I'm here to help. Now, I didn't say anything to anyone. It was just kind of my own little moment, right? And my own little victorious moment. But, but I thought at that moment, I was like, okay, I didn't have to do anything, but I did something. And that little move ignited in my heart a love for my little community. Like, I can't do everything here, but I'm going to do what I can to help the people that are here. And our culture, our nation, they're longing for Christians that are willing to step up and do something. I have one other article, and I'm not going to read it to you, but basically it was written by an atheist. So it's Matthew... um, Matthew Perry, well, I don't want to say Matthew Perry, that's not correct at all. Matthew Paris. And he talks about going back to Africa after where he had grown up 45 years later. And he went to Malawi, the, the, city, the town that he had grown up in, in, in Malawi. And, he, and he's, as he's looking around, he says, I'm now a confirmed atheist, but I must confess one thing. I'm so glad that Christians have come to this city. He says this, it has inspired me, renewed my flagging faith. Now I a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa, sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts, and it brings spiritual transformation The rebirth is real, and the change is good. Our world is begging for Christians to say, I'm willing to go and serve. So what opportunities are are we going to do from here? Well, all I'm asking us to do at this point is to do what Jesus told his disciples and what Nehemiah did. Pray. Pray that God would open your hearts to where he wants you to land And then prepare your heart that you might be willing to do something. We're going to have some opportunities um, that we're thinking and praying about. But some of you may come up with better opportunities where God is leading you. That's awesome. But we might be able to do something in these next five weeks together. We might be able to do something to make a great impact on A&M campus in these few days. You up for that? Well, two things that I would would encourage you to to look at. One is um, how you can help here. For some of you, um, we'd, we'd lead Bible studies. And some of you may be saying, you know what, I, I might need to step up and maybe apply for leadership to lead a Southwood Bible study group and join here and serve here and help some of your fellow students that, that come to those groups that are even in this room. For the next one, I encourage you to talk to your table host right now and talk as you go through some of the discussion questions and pray and think about what is breaking your heart. What are the needs that are maybe right in front of you? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you for an opportunity to open your word and hear from you. And Lord, I pray that we might be people that will take an opportunity to step out, to see it, to see the world as you, as, as you see it, and align our hearts with your heart. It's in your name we pray. Amen.